Greetings, good day, good dawning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you. This is Chief Yuya, and I trust and will that your day um, is either starting in a really beautiful direction or um, thus far has been going in a really beautiful direction. So we are at our 68th um, podcast here, episode 68. And, you know, in our last session, we were getting into just some of the things that are happening right now in terms of, um, like I said, the issues hit the fan, you know, so what that representing just a lot of the games and the schemes and the agendas and the machinations of uh, what we might call 10 percenters or devilish people or conniving people are beginning to come to a head and their followers uh many of which were filled with the same sort of energy of being conniving, being sneaky, being duplicitous, you know, are now being either pulled down along with them into the pit of despair or looking for a new home where they can initiate more of their trouble and more of their conflict. You know, that's one thing to keep in mind too, man. Sometimes people will use their stories of being under a certain sort of quote unquote leader corrupt or a certain level of corruption and they'll use that as their story to get in with you you know never fall for that either a lot of times people are very much aware that who and what they are following is false and it allows them space and room to be just as dirty as they want to be you know and if something happens they can they can use that organization or that person as a scapegoat you know it's, it's very similar to what happens often unfortunately in the realms of prostitution where you have women who are in the streets or in the hotels and in the casinos um and they're they're leasing out their body parts you know they they're going to do it they they want to do it they enjoy doing it they enjoy the power they enjoy the desire they enjoy the the raciness of the lifestyle but one of the things that they require is a scapegoat in case things hit the fan so they acquire someone who has weak character, unable to really see what this person is about. And they may even make, sometimes they use females for it. They'll, they'll make a pimp out of them, you know, and then when things hit the fan, they say, well, I was trafficked. I was held against my will. <laughs> you know, uh, I've seen that play out so many times. And the reality is, is one, one devil oftentimes utilizing another devil. And for onlookers who don't know any better or know anything about the lifestyle of the game, they look at that and they, um, they, everybody points to the scapegoat. And remember that image of the scapegoat is a devilish image. The scapegoat actually comes from the offerings that were given at the tabernacle where you had one goat that was set free and one goat that would be sacrificed. And then eventually those, that same image of that goat became used for Baphomet and also became used as the image of what you may call the devil, you know, where he would have the horns on his head and the hooved feet and the tail and the goat legs. And sometimes you would also see that as an image of Pan as, as well, you know, um, but, or the fawn, as some would say, but, but nonetheless, man, um, you have to be able to, and I say you have to, in order to survive and navigate through some of the games that people play in their processes, uh, you have to be able to see the forest from the trees. So you don't end up fooling yourself um, about 
who's who and what's what. You know, so I wanted to get into a little bit today um, to kind of complement what we spoke about last time. We spoke about a lot of these different schemes that are, like I said, falling apart and these different people who, again, some still don't see and they, they won't see. They don't want to see. Some still will see. Uh, and I won't, I don't feel like mentioning, mentioning these people's names again, but I would urge you to listen to episode 67 to really understand. But I just mentioned a few, uh, just a few, cause there's many that I, I could go on and on. Just a few of the con artists that exist inside of, uh, what I call the culture community and how those con artists, uh, some of them, not all of them have, some of them have now been, um, have caught the attention of law enforcement as well as governmental agencies um, who have, you know, caught on to their fake nonprofits and, you know, uh, some of the abuses that have gone on within their camps or their um, their created communities, if you will, right? Um, and then some of it is are singular issues where people have caught um, sexual assault charges and things like that. So, you know, you can go out back and check that out to kind of get some context if you want. Um, I didn't enjoy mentioning people's names the first time and I, I you know, that's, that's a one-shotter for me. But nonetheless, it's important for you to be able to identify these people because they're not just people who are far away from you. You know, sometimes we, when things happen, we fall into this self-righteous place where, you know, something that happened, you know, we might look at it uh, through social media or TV or however the news and we say, man, look at those people over there. And it's hard for us to put in our mind that those situations over there, if you will, are not far from what we experience every single day. You know, I remember when, um, for one of the people that I mentioned who just received 30 years for, um, I, again, I really don't even understand the charges, but a bunch of sex stuff, deviant sex stuff, right? They're a very popular R&B singer. And I remember when those charges first came out. And I want to say, not even the charges, not in the missing, let me not say the charges, when the accusations first came out, right? And I'm going to give you a little background on that. I didn't say a name, but some of you probably know who I'm talking about. Um, I actually went on tour with that individual back in the days, uh, way back in the days. Uh, they... When they first came out, they actually came out in a group. It was a group, and then they went solo. So for uh, his first solo project, I was actually on that tour. Uh, I was with another group, but you know, it was a several us, several of us, excuse me, several different groups that were on tour. And it was interesting because I remember uh, there was a young lady who I thought was his little sister who was with us. I could, I could tell some of this now. You know, these, these are such old stories. Uh, and some of my, you know, some people around me, they know I've shared some of this stuff, but this is not really stuff I talk about publicly. You know, I, I have lived a very full life and there was so much that happened before Chief Yuya. There was so much that happened before Brother Haru. <laughs> you know, there was so much that happened when I was just big you, you know, and if I would have, if my life would have expired as big you, even back then, it was a very full life, you know. So it may sound like there's no, there's no way somebody has, 
you know, sometimes I tell somebody stories like, there's no way someone's, yeah, like someone's lived all that I have. You know, my, my barbers have always urged me for years to write a story about my life. I've been getting that one for years and periodically, actually even recently, my, I think my aunt, yeah, my aunt did say it recently. I had two aunts say it on different sides of the films. Like you need to write a story about your life, but it, it's always been very difficult because they know they're like, yeah, I'm a very private person. And also I don't, you know, like I've always told them whenever they suggested it, like, I don't know what parts are interesting and what parts are just, you know, regular life. I, I really, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin to be honest with you. It's not really into something happens sometimes when I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember I went through that or I witnessed that or I was there, you know? And then I realized like, Oh, that was an, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. You know, it's kind of like sometimes you listen to the comedian TK Kirkland and people make fun of that about him. You know, every time he's in an interview, he's got like, he's, it seems like he's known everybody, been everywhere. He's like, you know, he was locked up with Tupac and went on tour with this one and friends with this one. I was the one who told this one to do that and start this business, you know, and people, it's become almost like a joke, but, but he's been doing comedy since the eighties. I mean, it's, it's 60 years old. He looks really good for his age. So you look at him, you think he's probably in his forties or something, but he's 60 years old, you know, so he's been out here for a long time. And, um, from incarceration to doing comedy at a young age and different business and stuff, you know, you, you end up being in a lot of situations and he's always been a maverick. So when you step out and do what other people don't do, you know, you're going to have a lot of successes and a lot of failures and a lot of stories that other people don't who just go to work every day and come home and watch TV, you know, and if that's never been your groove, your stories are going to start early, <laughs> you know? So my stories start very early because I've never been one to do the norm. This is a side note. So yeah, man, I remember we were on tour and that R and B singer who just recently got 30 years, he's still in trial right now. You know, um, Mr. 12 play. I remember we were on tour and like after we would do shows or whatever, you know, you're in a, you're in a new town, you know, if you're going from state to state, whatever. So you want to kind of explore, like, you know, that's pretty much just what you do after. And and after you play, you know, and you perform, like you got a lot of energy, you know, like you want to get that energy off, man. Your adrenaline is pumping, you're feeling good or whatever, you know, I mean, especially in the beginning of a tour, you, you know, as you start narrowing down and getting closer to home, it's like, man, I'm going back to the room, going to sleep, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just going to order some food and, you know, eat on the bed you know, put my sandwich on my stomach and just, you know, fall asleep watching TV or whatever, you know. But, you know, back then we were all pretty young too. So, you know, you could stay up all night and do whatever and then be right back in the rehearsal room the next day, you know, rehearsing for the, sh the, the show you got that night. But I remember his little sister and he would, every time when we would go out, he would never let her out that room. And I used to feel so bad for her. I used to be like, oh man, you know, cause I was pretty, pretty young at that, that time. You know, I, I started playing music very young and, uh, I was very blessed to have a certain level of ability to, uh, attract the attention of people who were professionals and say, hey man, would you like to come here? Would you like to do studio session here or whatever? You know, so I was, I was very fortunate in that, that I was, you know, was able to move um, I want to say quick, quickly, because I, I've been playing instruments since I was seven. 
And like seriously, since I was not just playing around, but really trying to hone my craft. And I think I turned on the turbo button at 11, you know, so it wasn't like a casual type thing for me, man. It was really my life. So by the time I was in my teens, I had already been playing professionally. I think my first professional gig, I was maybe 14, somewhere around there. You know, that's when I started playing in nightclubs. So, but I was a for real home musician by then, you know, but, um, yeah. So I remember his, his little sister would always be in the room. We go out and I remember one night going out and, um, some of the, <laughs> I guess we could say Cosby kids were, were with us cause it was Malcolm Jamal Warner and, um, Tempest Bledsoe. Tempest Bledsoe played Vanessa on the Cosby show and Malcolm Jamal Warner played Theo. And, um, they were going to kick it with us one night. And I remember, um, coming downstairs and, um, Tempest going off on the R&B singer, like screaming on him. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, I'm thinking maybe he said something inappropriate to her or touched her. I, I really didn't know what was going on, but you know, um, cause she wasn't like, she wasn't a rah-rah type of sister like that, you know? Um, and it was about his little sister in the room. So we're out later and I'm talking to some of, you know, brothers. I'm like, yo, you seen what happened earlier? We, you know, we kind of, you know how people are. It's like, yo, yeah, well, you see, you know, we mumbling and I guess gossiping <laughs> a little bit, trying to put the pieces together. Like, yo, what was that about? And I was like, yo, I know, his, I don't know, something happened with his little sister to, and our one of the choreographers who was with us, she was like, "What? His little sister?" I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "That's his girl." And I'm like, "Nah, that's not his girl. It's a little girl in there." <laughs> I'm like, "Yo," I'm like, "Yo, she's like 13." <laughs> and she was like, "That's his girl." So I'm like, "Oh, how old is dude?" And at the time, he might have been in his late 20s. I think. I, I think I'm, I might have my numbers off. Um. So I'm kind of like not believing that. And I'm like that. I, what is this? You know, like, but at the same time being in the industry for the amount of time I had been, I, I saw a lot of weird stuff, you know? So apparently I guess Tempest Bledsoe got wind of that and was not happy about it. And was going off on it. That's, you know, kind of what we, we pieced together. And, um, you know, so that little girl was actually Aaliyah. I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, Aaliyah. She's a, a R&B singer uh, who uh, transitioned some some years back, good amount of years back, um, in an airplane accident. And this was right before she came out. When she came out, I think she was about 14. So this probably was about a year or so before um, she came out with her first her first single. And um, I mean, she was a little girl when she came out, but. Uh, definitely even then I just saw her as a, you know, little girl stay in the room, you know, whatever. So, um, there are so many things that have been hitting the fan and then they're not new things, but I remember when that happened. Right. And then I was watching back then we had a show called video soul on BET and, um, there was a rumor that they had gotten married, which we know now they really did. Right. And I was, I saw her, cause I remember when I saw the first, I was like, yo, that's Shorty from, uh, 
the tour. That's the little girl, you know? And, um, she was like, you know, me and Rod, I don't say the person. I mean, it doesn't even, I just don't feel like saying his name, but you know who it was. But she was like, yeah, me and him, we're just really close friends in the interview. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and I remember people kind of like flipping a little bit. And I'm like, I, I remember having these conversations like once, you know, I'm home at this point. And, um, I was like, I don't know why y'all tripping because it's not like you don't like, it's not like there's not a lot of like, cause we're, we're in the hood at this time, you know, I'm back in New York, you know, doing my thing. Right. And I'm like, yo, this perverts all over the neighborhood. Like why y'all, why are you getting so excited over this particular situation when you know right now, if you send a 12, 13 year old girl down to the store to get a, a, a dollar cheese sandwich, you know, there's a, there's a possibility that, that Ock in the store is going to holler at her. Now, if you're from the, you know, New York, you know who, like, there's only two names you give <laughs> the store owners is either Poppy or Ock, right? So, you know, uh, Ock is going to holler at her, you, you know, and that's just a normal part of hood life. Or there's always those dudes who, um, we know what time the high school lets out and, they're standing near the bus stops like every day at a certain time, you know, like just hood perverts, you know, why are you not going after them? You, you know, we grew up around them, you know, I remember there was a certain boxer who used to come up to my high school. I'm not going to say his name. He was a champ at the time and he used to pick up girls from the school, you know, like that's, we, we've all grown up seeing this, right? And I'm not normalizing it by any stretch, trust me, I'm not normalizing it. But what I'm saying is that, um, some of these things that have been happening for a very long time for some are now coming to a head, right? So, and I'm saying that to say, I don't want to isolate what happened to the R and B singer or what happened to, I don't want to say his fool's name, any one of the people who I mentioned in the last episode, because scams have been going on, pedophilia has been going on. These things have been going on for a very long time. You know, and um sometimes when things are allowed to go on for a really long time, people become complacent and comfortable and they start to see it as a norm of things. You know, I remember when I first started, like, really getting into the music scene um at a at a charting level. And when I say charting, charting means like um not just that I'm playing in local clubs or stuff like that, but I'm actually when I got more into production. Right. Um, so I started really getting attention as a producer, probably in my late teens, early, mid to late teens. Right. Um, I was always anything I did I was always the youngest person in the room. Right. But being big for my age, so nobody really knew. But that's when I started like catching people's attention. Like, oh, he, he's his music is nice. His beats are nice or whatever. Right. So I started getting invited into studios, you know. And, um, as a result, you end up being around celebrities. So for me at that time in my teens, like I didn't know much about the business. I didn't know anything about the business. Let me, let me keep it on it. So I didn't make the money that I should have for a lot of the songs that I charted. Cause to be totally honest with you, 
I was just happy to be in the studio. I didn't care. You didn't pay me anything. <laughs> you know, I know I was fortunate enough. I was never stupid enough to say that out loud, but I was just happy to be around all the, the blinking lights and the, and the equipment. And, you know, today we got this one coming in and that one's coming in to record. And I'm meeting all these different people who, you know, at the time, you would only see on TV, you know, before social media and stuff, you'd only see on TV or here on the radio. Um, so that was, that was payment enough for, for me until I got a little older and started meeting other people. Um, and I got more involved in the business and was like, wait a minute, how much did, what? They paid you what? You know, you start talking about people's checks or really, it started really happening with cars. You know, when I started seeing people like, Wait a minute, last week you had a little Volkswagen Rabbit. Like, this week you rolled up in a Benz 190. Like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Where would I come? You know, start asking questions. It's like, oh, you know, I, I, I need to get a lawyer. <laughs> you know, which I did, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, being in those environments, man, that, that really exposed me to a lot of stuff that, I was taught was a part of being in that environment, you know, and that's a lot of times what happens, you know, you're, you're, when you get to a certain level, you just kind of, it's kind of implied that certain things come along with it. You know, like I remember being amongst greats musically and I was one night I was, um, we were doing a studio session and it was a, I'll say the record, but I won't say what the person did on the record. There's a, there was a song back in the days called Funkin' for Jamaica by Tom Brown. And, uh, really, really cool, like, a lot of you probably familiar with it. Or if you heard it, you'd be like, oh, I know that song. You know, real, real, real cool song. Marcus Miller played bass on it and just funky, like, just really nice song. And it was someone who did something on that song. I'll just say it like that. And, um, they, they, they needed something. They needed a lift home, right? And, um, I gave them a lift home and the person was female. So let me put it that way. The person who did something for that song was a female. And in the studio world or in the session musician world, this person's kind of a legend, right? So she was like, yeah, could you know, could you give me a lift? I was like, yeah, yeah, I got you. No problem. And that's cool. Cause it just gives me more time with the person, you know, pick a brain a little bit, whatever, ask questions. So we pull up to a spot and, um, she's like, Oh, you can come up if you want. So now I'm like, Oh, <laughs> okay. This is, this is something else. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Mind you, this, you know, this, I'm, I'm young at this point. So I'm, you know, I'm king dingling. Um, and she's, she's a, she's an old head, you know, so it's like, Oh, it's about to get interesting, you know, younger than what I am now, but. <laughs> You know, oh, you know, at at that point, at that age, anything over 26, I was like, you know, I had a couple of 30-year-olds. It was like my ancient, <laughs> my ancient crew, you know. But um, so she's like, oh, hold on one second. And she pours some cocaine out on my dashboard, does a couple of lines. She was like, all right, let's go. You know, and I remember that was like my <laughs> my christening into the game. You know, I was like, oh, so in this world, that's normal. Like, that's, that's nothing. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you know, and, and that was, there, I saw a lot of action like that, you know, where it's like, 
if you function in this environment, these are the things that we do. It's not, you know, and, and this is how those devils creep into your system because you think it comes along with the package. So for me, I was always like the monk because at that time too, I was bodybuilding and stuff. So I'm like, I, I don't even drink soda. <laughs> I don't even eat hard candy. You know what I'm saying? So I sure as hell ain't putting, you know what I mean? I'm not doing none of that. I don't smoke cigarettes. Y'all could do that. And I was very secure myself and I was already cool. So it's like, I, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't see you as cool as, as doing that because I have friends who sell that. So I, my perception of you is that you're not cool <laughs> because you're a customer and I'm not a customer. I've never been a customer. I've been a producer in everything that I do. And I hang out with producers. All my friends are producers, right or wrong, <laughs> you know? So that helped me to stay out of a lot of mess probably, right? But yeah, you know, when you, you come into certain environments, um, it's just certain things. It's like, yeah, it's just what we do. You know, the, the, whether it's the, the, the drugs or the crazy kind of sexual experiences or even, even things down to like stepping over other people, the disrespect you show towards other people, you know, the, the rudeness and things like that. That's a part of being successful. Right. And, um, these are things that never, I never really gelled with. And I think, uh, what's interesting, a lot of the people who I came up in the industry, so many who are moguls now, you know, um, I'm still super cool with to this day. Like got, I have home phone numbers, selling everything. Like whenever I run into them, it's like, yo, hit me up. Like seriously hit me up. Like not on some music stuff. Like come up to the house, <laughs> you know, like let's hang out. Let's have dinner. Like, you know, like on some, some real just, human human stuff because um i never associated myself with the insanities of said environment i never allowed myself to be saturated by those devils because i never found them um i never found them appealing i had my own devils but those weren't you know those weren't them right so sometimes those evils and those wickedness that saturate inside of us because of the, the positions that we put ourselves into whether it be, you know, through what we consider to be our success or, uh, through our education or through our legislative bodies, you know, we, politics, you know, we, we take on certain spaces where, um, there are certain things that we think just come along with the position and, you know, it's okay because I'm just doing my job. So if I'm a producer and I'm producing just like, okay, I, I used to play in rock bands back in the days, right? And as a part of that environment, it was a lot of drugs there too, actually. But, um, being destructive was acceptable. You know, or like, let's say we were getting ready to go on stage and I took out a paper clip and like just carved Satan into my leg. No one would be like, yo, what the hell are you doing? It'd be like, yo, oh my God, yo, like, all right, that's cool. Yeah, let the blood drip when we go on stage. Cause that type of behavior is acceptable. In that environment, I, I know it well. I, I functioned in that environment for a very long time. Only black guy on stage, <laughs> you know. But now, then when I played for, let's say, I, I also played for like many gospel groups and stuff, like well-known gospel acts. Won't mention names, of course. If I would have did something like that. I'd been like, pray, pray, lay hands on him. <laughs> like, you know, something's wrong with him. Pray for him. You know, he got a demon in him. You know, so. There's certain things that didn't come with that. However, 
if I decided I wanted to gauge into some deviant sexual activity with a, with another man, but keep it on the L, but it kind of halfway be known, that would be totally the norm in that space, right? So each space kind of comes with its own devil and you, you have to, uh, be able to identify it. And it has nothing to do with skin color or nationality or financial status. That's what, that's what, um, this world would have you believe. So you're constantly pointing your finger at the wrong devil. You see, and that's a game. One of the things, uh, some may have heard me say before, and I used to say it all the time to make things clear that there's no devil worse than a black devil. And what I, what I mean, I mean, I think what I mean is very clear, <laughs> but you know, I remember years ago coming into, uh, Ifa and one of the things really coming, uh, I mean, coming by way of Santeria, but when I remember when I really started studying, studying, studying and being on the continent as a student, you know, um, there were, there was so much work, especially when I worked in the, and, and when I was dealing with Paulo Mayombe, so many bats I had to learn, like a lot of bats. That's why I know, that's why when people ask me for bats now, like I could just run them off my head because that was like drilled into me. Like I probably know like at least 200 bats, at least, you know, um, and a lot of things were for protection. And that used to always kind of stick with me, like, man, we do a lot of work for protection. And I used to feel like, well, if the continent was this great place that you keep telling me, where we were at total peace until the pale man arrived, why did we need to do all this warfare? Like, who were we fighting? Who were we defending ourselves against? You know? Now, the, the obvious, you know, <laughs> the answer is very obvious. Well, from each other, right? Now, there's some who would have you believe, oh, that's because of Willie Lynchism, and we've learned to hate ourselves, and this and that. Nah, it's not because of that. It's not because of that at all. It's because that there are there are devils and gods that exist throughout every group, period. There are black devils. There are white devils. There are yellow devils, red devils. And I usually don't classify people like they're in a uh, box of crayons, but, um, I think you, you get my, my drift, what I'm saying. So some people will try to reduce that and they'll say, well, there, there are Caucasians who are devils. And then there are Africans who will do devilish things. We'll prove it. <laughs> right. Of course, that's not something that can necessarily be proven. And it's just something that, that you may say so you don't feel so bad about yourself or so you don't have to be accountable for your actions, right? But me, I'm okay with accountability. I, I don't have a, I don't have any issue with it. The reality is, um, the concept of the devil is older than the Caucasian. So that wouldn't work. That concept doesn't work, right? If, if we were to look at the, garden of Eden and look at that story for people who come from that perspective those events were happening way before we see the first cases of anyone being struck with leprosy 
in the book. Leprosy was the whitening of the skin. You see? So before that, everybody was black, dark, (laughs) ruddy, (laughs) dusky, you know, but everyone was dark. So in this time, so, you know, it wasn't until, I mean, you talk about Cain, the, 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 the time of, of, of Cain and the children of Cain and his movement into Nod. It was well into like 600 years later that we have the story of leprosy. You see? So all that time before that, all these characters we're talking about were dark. There was no leprosy yet. So therefore, when you speak about a devil, you know, whether in the garden or this one killed that one or that one, you know, whatever you're talking about, you're talking about something that happened among dark people, right? Now, again, that's if you're, you're, you're utilizing that book or that doctrine. And of course, I know one of the easy things now. Yeah. So, you know, like I was saying, one of the easy things you could do is move the goalposts. And of course, that removes you from, well, it doesn't really remove you from accountability, but it make you feel a certain way. <laughs> it make you feel a little better about selling drugs or raping or robbing or sleeping with little girls or conning people out of their hard-earned money for your scheme or starting a, talk, a toxic um, cult or whatever it is that you're into, you know. But I wanted to get into... How do we start to identify some of that? Because, like I said, so yeah, you know, how do we identify some of this? And the reason I, I brought that story of that person, the, whether it be the R&B singer or whatever, is because, like I said, a lot of times these devils are right next to us. And I'm not necessarily calling him a devil because I don't, I don't know the full situation on that. Even when we were on tour, I don't know the full situation, right? And I know that culturally, and a lot of people may get lost when I say this one, culturally, uh, I'm not necessarily one who adheres to Western culture, right? So uh, what that means is that someone may say, for instance, if you tell me you're married and you tell me you're invested in Western culture, then that, that okay, so you went and got a marriage license and you know, you maybe even went to a church and had a, you know, that sort of wedding and somebody wore white, someone else was dressed up, walked down the aisle and, you know, all of those different um, sick rituals that have nothing to do with divine marriage, right? But if I see that you're, you're invested in a different call, let's say if you say you're Muslim and you say you're married, that means something different to me, you know, or if you say that you practice the, the laws of, of um, Nile Valley civilization, and you're trying to recapture that and own that again within your heart and life. And you tell me you're married. <laughs> that says something else. You know, so um, with that being said, you know, I don't. Someone says, well, that's this girl. Or this, in what way? What do you mean? You know, um, there's certain assumptions I could make and they're not good. But, you know, a lot of stuff has already come out at this point. And I have my own thoughts on that, that may, that would also definitely be not considered politically correct, even her relationship with the music mogul, or two of them really, that she was in with after that, clearly always with older men. But um, 
how do we begin to identify this energy or these devils that are around us? You know, like I say, the biggest con doesn't come with a um, grimace. It comes with a smile. And like I said, when I was studying deep and especially Apollo and all these different systems, it, it dawned on me. I said, yeah, we we are the most fiercest thing on the planet though we we try to say no we're 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 the good ones and all and the other race are the bad ones because look black and white it's just just black and white no it's not that simple because really there is no black and there really is no white you know that's not a way for you to classify people that makes no sense and that within itself is a tool of the devil that's the white man that's the black man you know because like i said i go to the continent i'm considered a white man <laughs> you know, depending on where I'm at and in level of education and exposure. If I go up into the hills of Nigeria, if I go up to the hills of, of Ghana, they, I'm white man, you know, but if I'm in Lagos, people know like, nah, he's brother. You know, if I'm in, um, I've been in Johannesburg, I've been in, K- in, in Cape town. No, nah, it's black man. Right. But there's other areas I'll go into, um, been in Rwanda, go up in the mountain. Oh, it's white man. <laughs> You know, so a lot of it has to do with ex- exposure and, and lack of understanding. And again, um, how would I classify myself as being black? I was asked that question once on the continent. Well, how, why is it or how is it that you consider yourself a black man? And this is when I had my long locks and the guy was like, oh, is it because like your hair is like the texture of your hair? All It was a very stupid question to me. But then at the same time, you know, and this was from actually a college lecturer, college professor who asked me this question, believe it or not, someone who's educated. Um, but it was a good question. You know, when I was able to think about it another time, why, why am I black? Cause I'm not really black. So why would I classify myself as black? Is it because of how I look, how my voice sounds? That's dangerous to, because that, that means that it's not a consciousness. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. So if someone can capture that, then I would have to now, if they, if they could capture that look and that sound and then say, I identify as black, I'd have to say, well, then I guess, yeah, based on the, this weak criteria of, of phenotype, you would be. Sound familiar? <laughs> so some of us know that things go beyond visual appearances and, um, being original is, is something that I can tie myself to geographically, ethnically. I could look at the migratory patterns. I could look at the history of my people and how we ended up where we ended up, but also by learning, um, the stories of the Elohim, which is the, which is really the most important part. Once you learn who the deity is that was assigned over you and your people, then you'll learn who you and your people are. That's the key. You know, like if Clifford the Big Red Dog was the deity that was assigned over my family, I'd have to assume that we have canine DNA because our God is a dog. Hmm. <laughs> uh, hopefully you, some of you caught that. Right. Um, but if my yah is not a dog, then my yah is going to give, uh, evidence as to 
where I spring from based on who was put over me to manage me. So if I find out my people, we were assigned the Elohim known as Adonai, then that lets me know that, okay, Yahweh, Adonai, well, what was their story? Instead of just looking at them as some invisible thing in the sky, if I could look at them as actual entities and then figure out, okay, well, let me learn. It's not that hard, actually, to be honest with you. Learn the stories of these different Elohim. Then I'll, that'll tell me where exactly I come from and what my classification is beyond a color. Because the color classification is stupid. Because once you start really learning and getting into things, you'll learn about the green people, people who emitted green light. So then what, 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 would we, what would we do about that one, right? So if there is a possibility that there are angelic beings, then there has to be a possibility that there are devilish beings, right? And a lot of times, like, again, using when I use the references of the R&B singer, a lot of times certain energies and entities that are right next to us and we don't know how to identify them. We're intertangled with them. And, and a lot of our, um, understandings, spirituality of spirituality are telling us to separate, get away, get away, get away, get away, get away. And we're thinking we're just being told to get away from the ills of society in the world, not realizing that it's not just that you are living amongst devils and you're not realizing like some of those devils are your brother your aunt <laughs> your daughter your son your father your teacher your college lecturer your boyfriend your girlfriend your husband your wife some of them are that they're from a different seed similar to like Cain and Abel Cayenne and Habel, they're of a different seed. And there's, there's like some easy ways we can kind of look at, right? And, and this is when you start to take some of these spiritual stories and you take them out of the like sky. <laughs> Sometimes they're just so, so lofty and so far up in the sky that we don't really know how to make them practical. And then you have con people who will keep them in the sky because it's so interesting to keep them, you know, in the realm of mythology. But if you could take some of these stories of the Elohim and the wars in heaven, it's been more than one. You'll start to understand it. It's similar to this. And I said this before, like years ago, I used to sell art many years ago, art from the continent. And I remember um, one of my Santeria Babas, he's transitioned since um, I was, you know, my daughter and I at the time, she was very young and we were having so much trouble sleeping. We were both having nightmares at the same time, every night. And um, I went to him and I was like, yo, I need something, man, like something, something's up. <laughs> you know, I, I said, me and my baby, um, we're over here crying and running and kicking and stuff in our, in our sleep. So he was the one to put me up on, which you've heard me say, but I got it from him. He was like, yeah, man. So t- tell me like, what's up with the house? And then, and then I, I happened to just mention on the side, I was like, yeah, you know, while I was 
on the porch where I keep a lot of the art and this, he's like, what? On a lot of the what? I was like, yeah, I, I have like an insane amount of art, you know, between my garage and my porch and inside the house, you know, from Nigeria. And he was like, describe the art. So I was telling him different masks and stuff. He's like, that's the problem. Cause I, I had Fonty masks. I had stuff from Nigeria. I had stuff from Mali. I had stuff from South Africa. I had stuff from Tanzania. Cause I had all over the continent, you know, and he was like, man, you, you can't mix that stuff together like that. And it, common sense. <laughs> you know, I was really young at that time. I was really, really young. He's like, man, at night what's happening, this stuff is going to war. He's like, you probably got stuff in there from warring tribes. And, and then he was like, and you know, this stuff gets used in rituals and stuff. So what I ended up doing was, um, I feel like, I feel like I made an oil blend for myself and my daughter. I, I feel like I remember that. It was so long ago. And I took all of the artwork and put it in the garage, right? Put it in the garage and I did some stuff with the door and, you know, a couple of rituals. First night we slept peacefully, <laughs> you know, um, everything was cool, you know, after that. But, um, you know, sometimes we're, we're right inside of things, right inside of, of disagreeable situations, not realizing it. And some people are more sensitive to it than others. You know, my daughter is mine my blood and um she and i have a sensitivity that you know like her mother didn't necessarily have because uh we don't share the same blood <laughs> you know point blank as as far as from 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 the rooter <laughs> from the rooter to the tutor my blood is in her because i put my imprint in her and allowed her to be the vessel of my seed um, but it's not the same as my image coming forth from her. So some of the things that I was susceptible to or sensitive to even, at, and at the time she was probably maybe two, if not, nah, she wouldn't, I don't think she was, I don't think she was two yet. She was a year and change. Um, but she was, you know, at, she's to this day, she's got many of my gifts, you know, and, um, some of that is to be rejoiced and some of that, I, I, it's, nah, man, I wish you wouldn't have got that one, <laughs> you know, because, uh, yeah, I feel that. So one of the ways that we, we begin to see when we're around like that kind of discordant energy, you know, sometimes around people, it's people that we have that are right next to us and we, we don't spot them and know when we're around them is because we don't know what to look for or we're looking at people who may look just like us so we're like well they they can't be the problem because again we've been always taught to look outside of us and not just in terms of our own body but even our community it can't be my brother <laughs> can't be my father can't be my mother it's gotta it's gotta or it can't be someone who has skin as dark as mine or skin as white as mine or his hair is his hair is fine as mine or his hair is kinky as mine it can't be that Nah, I can tell you if you are melanin rich, <laughs> we are the creators of the worst devils on the planet because we got all of this powerful melanin at our disposal. We're the ones with the big guns, you know, and some of the ways you begin to to see 
right? It's just an overall level of uncooperativeness. You ever like work with someone or try to operate with someone and every time you give them a, a, an instruction or a directive, it never really properly gets done or there's always some resistance. You know, like one of the things that me that I don't like is if I tell you to do something, do it, just don't talk. Or if you do something wrong and I tell you that it was wrong, don't start telling me why you did it wrong. That's, that's, that's vexing. Oh, do it this way, that way, that way. You don't do it that way. Look, you did it wrong. I told you to do it this way. Oh, what I was thinking was this. Well, what you were thinking was the wrong thing. So why would I want to hear the wrong thing in my ears? I only want to hear the right thing in my ears and you didn't do the right thing. So why would I want to hear an incorrect process? Are you trying to poison me with your thinking? Devilish. You know, um, you got to pay attention. Sometimes there's very nuanced ways that a devil shows themselves. I'm good at reading physiognomy. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll see the demon right in your face. You don't even realize you're doing it. It could be the day you, you're most handsome or most pretty. Like, oh, look at my new dress. Look at my new suit. I'll catch a glimpse and I'll, oh, there it is. There it is. There's a demon. This is a devil. Not a person who was possessed. Not a person who was behaving devilish, devilish. A devil. Just as you can stand in front of others and say that I am a deity, or I'm the goddess this, or I'm God that, why can't you also recognize, well, if you can be that, then there could be something else out here. Because the reality is whether you're dealing with what you would consider to be a God or what you would consider to be a devil, they're both deities. They're both Elohim. Did you know that? They're both Elohim. Lucifer is an Elohim. Just a certain kind of Elohim. <laughs> it's just realms of existence. Like you have Elohims, you have humans, right? So humans aren't all necessarily good or all necessarily bad. There are different cuts of human. There are different cuts of deity. You see? So one of the things, like I said, you'll find is a lot of times that, um, you'll, you'll sense their attitude. You know, there's an uncooperativeness whenever you tell them to do something. They like to play dumb a lot. Oh, you want to do that? So what happens is after a while that you know that whatever you hand to them is never really going to get done properly. Or you just kind of have this slight like apprehension or concern that are they going to do what I told them to do or are they going to do their own thing? There's always that kind of kind of underlying. Um, that's a sign. Right now, I want you to understand as I'm sharing some of this. Don't look at it like, well, if the person does that one thing. They're a devil. It takes more than that. But these are the things that you may look at and allow there to be a green flag. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, allow there to be at least a red flag where you say, let me take a closer look. You know, another great sign is a lack of adaptability in a devil. Devils don't like change. And you'll find that, like, for instance, um, me, I, 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 like right now, I don't, do I? No, I don't own a winter coat right now. Um, I'm usually not around in cold weather climates. I'm, I move around. I'm, I'm nomadic. But, um, like 
last winter, I found myself predominantly in winter space. I had no, no coat. And I was like, I'm not buying a coat. <laughs> I don't feel like having a coat. That's not something I want to own right now. You know, so I had a jacket and it was like, I was just like, if it's cold outside, I'll just, as long as I have a jacket, I won't die. I'll just be cold, but I won't die though. So this winter, I'm going to feel the cold when I go out, you know, and that ability to adapt, which is actually healthy. You want to train your body because I'm always doing these little training exercises, but you want to train your body to be able to adapt and things like that. You know, like you don't always have to turn on the AC, <laughs> you know, but you'll find that someone who is a devil, if it's hot outside or if it's warmer, like let's say if today was 55 degrees or 60 degrees and tomorrow it's 75 degrees, they'll be like, oh my God, it's burning up outside. I'm burning up. But 75 isn't burning up. 75 is like damn near perfect. Like it's a very pleasant day. But it just, it feels hot to me. Oh, oh my God. You're a devil. I, I would say that. I'm just <laughs> but then again, depending on how many other clues I've collected, you might be telling on yourself. Or if it's a little cool, they always go to extremes instead of like, oh, it's cool in here. Oh my God, it's freezing. I'm freezing. I'm freezing. Give me your jacket. I'm freezing. Everything always has to go to these negative extremes all the time. This, this, there's no, there's no middle point and there's no happy adapting. You know, if they go into a dirty environment, they don't say, Oh, we, we could spruce the place up. They'll just complain about how dirty it is. Oh, I can't stay. Oh, no, this is filthy. You know, um, everything goes to those extremes and, you know, whether it's dealing with body temperature or whether it's, it's dealing with the environment. Um, one one of the, the things that you'll find a lot of times, or even like the body, right? If they're a little hungry, they're starving. They're never just a little hungry. They're star. Oh my God, I'm a die. I'm a die of hunger. Oh my God. Ah. Always to the extremes, you know, um, and negative extremes, if you will, or injurious extremes. One of the things too that you'll always find is that simple one. They don't have anything nice to say. They, they never have anything. I, I knew someone years ago. I had to get away from her. But um, so negative, man. She would see you, and instead of saying hello or whatever, she'd suck her teeth. That's how, That was always her first greeting. Or And I have to say we were intimate, just so this next part makes sense. We wake up in the bed. Her first thing would be to suck her teeth. And then to tell me either she doesn't feel like getting out of bed, it's cold, it's, it, it first thing I hunt, oh, I feel like getting up, oh, it's freezing, it's not freezing, it's just warmer under the covers, there's another body here, <laughs> oh man, I got so tired of that, I was like, I gotta get away from this, this is not working for me, you, you know, this is, this is, this is hell. You see this constant negativity, never, never anything positive to say about anyone else or anything. You know, that's a sign that you're dealing with the person who is most likely a devil. Um, they never initiate anything. And what I mean by that is this. Um, you might like I have a concert. I think I mentioned her before. Um, not I didn't mention her, but I mentioned this kind of scenario. She keeps like uh, games in her trunk of her car. 
If I go, if I go open up a trunk right now, there's games in there. I mean, what I mean by games like this, frisbees, is Nerf footballs, hula hoops. It's all kind of crap back there. And a lot of times when we're out places, she'll be like, oh, let's play frisbee. Right? And it'll be somewhere. I remember we were at a courthouse once and we were supporting someone and we were waiting for them to come out. We were actually removed from the courthouse and we were outside and she was like, let's play catch. <laughs> so we'll play catch on the grass of the courthouse. And I'm like, all right, it'll take my mind off of me because I feel like punch. Well, it was a whole thing, but, um, so the point I'm saying is that, or, or what I'm saying is that, um, She's always looking to bring joy. A devil does the opposite. A devil will ride the court tails, the uh, court tails. Nah, let me see what my mind is. A devil will ride the coat tails of your joy, but will never initiate it unless they're just emulating what you do. Right. So let's say if every I'll just make up something. Let's say like every month you go to a different live show. Let's say you like live music. And you're like, OK, every first Sunday of the month or whatever, I find a concert to go to. And you, and you always invite the devil. Come on. Hey. And they always like, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Right. But you notice they never invite you anywhere. They never say, Oh, because you're into live music and I, I'm into this. Why don't you come over here with me? You might enjoy it. I go dancing every such and such and uh, come dance with me in the park. They won't do that because they never bring joy. They only soak up the joy that you already have going on. You see, that's a sign that you're dealing with the devil. You know, you, and one of the things you can always like kind of ask yourself is if this person was not here, would I be having the same amount of fun, less fun or more fun? You're going to find 10 times out of 10 with that devilish energy. If they were not there, you either have more fun or the same amount of fun. Because they don't bring anything with them. They're only there to soak up what it is that you're doing. Why? Because devils don't initiate joy. Devils only initiate suffering. You see? So if there's an opportunity for negativity, that's where they'll shine, <laughs> if you will. That's where they'll kind of light up and start to extenuate. Uh, the negative. You might go to a concert. First thing they say is, Oh my God, the music is so loud. Oh my God, it's so dark in here. How's your drink? Oh my God, they, they, I don't like this drink. It's nasty, but eh. you see, devil. And it may shock you because you start, you might start going through some of the things that I'm sharing and like, but nah, no way. I mean, really? Nah, <laughs> you may not, <laughs> you may not believe it because. You might be listening to this this podcast right now with headphones on and you're laying in the bed next to your devil. You just kind of look to the side. If you look to the side, they're going to look at you at the same time. Like, yeah. <laughs> just get up slowly. <laughs> Don't make any sudden movements and get out the house. No. But, um, yeah, you'll find that there's, there's that sense. There's also usually like a lot of um, overindulging with a devilish energy, you know, um, because they're, they're really absorbing that human reality in a different sort of way. There's no, there's no real sort of, um, moderation. If, if, it, if you will, um, their mission 
is always some level of suffering, even if they're destroying the vessel that they came into the planet, even if they're destroying their body, but also it allows them to add to more of their suffering. And what they try to do, because they accentuate the negative so much, they try to pull you into their suffering. Anytime something happens, um, it could be something tragic, whether it's to them or to someone else, they're, they're going to be the loudest one. They're going to be the most sorrowful one. They're going to be the most depressed one where everyone has to now expend all of their energy to pull them out of that state. You see, they're going to be that one. You see, keep an eye on that because that's part of their cover. <laughs> you look at it and you say, well, I feel bad for this person. Now you feel bad. Mission accomplished. However, I get you. There. I get you. there. I don't care. I got you there. I got you feeling bad. I stole joy, which was my plan. I mean, remember, the devil doesn't initiate joy. The devil steals joy, still kill, destroy. You see? And so a lot of times they may even speak about themselves in a way that's uh, what we would consider to be negative. Um, and when there's a time for positivity, they're quiet. Or if you're building on something, you get together and say, hey, let's uh, do a, I don't know, a, I don't know, a, a cook-off. Or, I don't know, let's come up with something, you know. But something something helpful. Let's take a, let's get a bunch of uh, young girls and teach them how to cook. Let's, let's do a program. They get quiet. They, they become aloof. They start looking around and all of a sudden they're not really that engaged. But if you start talking about my mother never taught me how to cook and it hurt me so much. And now all of a sudden they're right there with you. My mother didn't teach me either. Yeah. And now there's tears and everything. Now everybody can feel bad. <laughs> you know, that's one of the ways that you can identify oh, this is a devil. You see, there's never any t- sort of movement towards what can be healthy, what can be positive, or, or or even something that's beautiful, right? You show up and you look good. They, they never say, wow, you look really, really beautiful today. Or that's a really nice head wrap. Or I really like that shade of shoe, <laughs> whatever. You know, that, that shade of nail polish on your feet or whatever. You know, toe, toenail polish. There's never anything positive. Never anything, you know, and the more positive you are and the better you're doing, the quieter they are because there's no, there's no place for them to kind of fit in and do what they, what they want to do. You know, they'll find that you'll find that they'll try to pull information from you, but they won't give much. And when you ask them to give you, they'll usually say something like this. or what do you want to know? Whenever you like, you ask someone to tell, tell you about them and tell me something about yourself. And they say, they answer you like that. That's a red flag. What do you want to know? They're only going to, so I want to know what I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I don't know what to ask you. I don't know your life. But you clearly don't want to tell any of it. So you want to say, well, what do you want to know? So that way you can give me a scripted and programmed answer. But they'll ask you stuff about your life and your family and your past, but they'll never reveal or share any of theirs. They'll never be open about that unless it's a story of misery devil you're looking in the face of a devil you see and a lot of times they'll find their way to get inside of an organization or a movement a church or whatever and they'll do their dirt because they want they want their dirt to be synonymous with the actual movement or the actual organization so that's why it's important that i'm even teaching something like this 
because you'll be able to identify it. You might look, like I said, it may not be the person you're laying in the bed next to, but it may be the person that you're doing community work with. And you may look to them tomorrow or the day after and say, wait a minute, this person checks a lot of these boxes. Yeah, I, I, I need to get away from you. You know, um, a lot of times you find people like that will, they'll start doing dirt in the name of, um, everybody's doing their thing. I'm going to do my thing. Especially like there's a lot of people around them who are doing well and are doing what they're supposed to do. Now they'll, they'll go left. If everybody is, go, is going right and doing right, they'll go left. You know, that's a sign of, of something like, like, you know, of, of what I'm speaking about. Um, and I know you may look at this and say, well, this just sounds like a negative person. You know, it just sounds like a characteristic of someone who's just negative. But, you know, think about, well, if someone who's just negative, where does that really come from? You know, how could someone just be walking around and just be negative? You know, aren't there other ways to be? You know, the best thing you could do, of course, with people like that is just, to stay away from them because um you've been tricked for a long time <laughs> and what i mean by that is that you've been told that the devil is something different than what it is it's one one person or entity who lives in fire somewhere underneath us way down deep um they like have pentagrams burn like pentagram brands on their arms and uh they're all red and they have a pitchfork and stuff like that and that has nothing to do with the actual nature of the devil there's a song that i did called one two um and i said a line i don't i don't remember the line uh <laughs> don't worry i'm not gonna try to like go verse for verse but the 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 there's a there's a line that I said it and someone had asked me about it. And I'm trying to think about it. You see I'm stalling a little bit. I'm trying to think about it in my head so I say the right line. But um someone had asked me about like what the word was. And um in the song I say something like, um, No devil can defeat this. You know, I'm speaking about my relationship with my consort, right? And I say, um, now I'm your best. Now I'm the best nowhere in your life. I speak that true and living. You're the fountain that I'm sipping. Knowledge is the key to bring harmony. Wisdom borns three over time. No devils can defeat this. No shaitan, jinn, or iblis. Right. Show and prove in all that we do. Our dark love is divine. Right. It was a lot that I said. And that, but I remember when I did it, someone was like, what the, Iblis, what's that? <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I kind of almost explained what it is in the lyrics, but you, you'd have to, you'd have to decipher what I was saying. When, even when I said, you're the fountain that I'm sipping, like, was that fountain thing about, but, or the, there's, there's no gin, there's no shaitan, there's no Iblis, and our dark love is divine. You know, Iblis, um, is a term, you know, in our Arabic, which means rebellious. And it's a, it's a word that we use for, for, uh, who you would call Satan, you know, or the devil. And it's that sense of rebelliousness of going against the divine order, 
um, to have things done a certain way or your way, you know, um, regardless of what's supposed to be, you start to see people who move like that consistently. We might call them hardheaded, <laughs> you know, like people give them good guidance and they're like, nah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it. You know, Iblis, you're looking at a devil. And just as there are different kinds of Elohim, like we can look at Adonai and we can look at um, Raphael. We can look at Rugael. We can look at um, Aziziel. We can look at Aziel. We can look at Mikael. Um, Baal, you know, Beelzebub. I, 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 there's a lot, right? It's, it's important to understand that even within that, there are many different kinds of devils. So they don't all show up the exact same way. But when you learn how to itemize them, you know, which was always the beauty of like comedic culture, because there's so much itemization, you know, then you start to see like who's who, what's what. You, you know, the signs, you know, like, um, and, and what that means in terms of itemization, like, let's say if, uh, if we say someone has shifty eyes, <laughs> right? That's an itemization. And that l- starts to lead us to, to, it urges us to look for other clues. Shifty eyes. Yeah. He never looks you in the eyes. He, he, st- whenever you ask him a question, he repeats the question back to you before he answers. This, you know, you, so you start to add these things of like, oh, I think this guy's a liar. He, he exhibits the signs of a liar, of a liar. You know, um, as opposed to this guy or this female, she looks at you in the eye when she speaks to you. She uses your, her name, your name when she talks to you. You know, she shakes hands and she has no problem with getting on the phone or showing up personally. She's not passive or what, you know, and you itemize that as a particular thing. And each one starts to lead you down a path to let you know um, what to look for to figure out what it is that I'm dealing with, whether I'm dealing with a uh, rebellious Elohim energy or I'm dealing with a divine redemptive Elohim energy. And this goes so much deeper than um, you might imagine. Cause there's so many tricks and there's so many tricks. Like I think I, I taught, if you look at the video I did on YouTube on Christ consciousness, the Christus versus the Christos, it's an important, like, there's so many words to use a lot of times, to, and we we don't realize how far things are itemized. So we'll look at these words like, oh, well, it's got to, he said Christos, Christos, it's the same thing, but it's not. Just like you have Shaddai and you have Shaddai, two totally different things, right? But we'll look at those two different words and be like, oh, they're both talking about El Shaddai. No, El Shaddai is a is the one you want, you know, that's the higher functioning Elohim. And then you have Shaddai or like you have Samuel and then you have some Samael. So you might hear Samael and be like, Oh, that, that must just be a way to pronounce Samuel. Right. And again, these sometimes are like, these are the tricks that you have to, um, you have to be aware of. You know, you have to be aware that these, these tricks exist because this is kind of how it keeps you. This is how, this is how you're kept in a place of not only not knowing, but you can be kept in a, in a sinful place, if you will. You know, like if you, again, I think I just said Samuel, right? Sam, Sam, you or Sam often means, um, L has heard. 
you know, or it could be the name of Yah because it could be Samuel or Shem El. Shema. Shema means to hear in Hebrew. And then El is, of course, El. So Shema El is to hear El, you know, or Shem El. Shem is sometimes a word that's used for the Most High. So if you say Shem El, it would be like the name of the Most High, if you will, right? So we have a meaning, if you will, or an understanding just in saying that. But then you have, like I said, Samael. And you might hear the two and be like, oh, that's the same thing. Samael means the poison of El. <laughs> right? It's a big difference. If, if you, if you kind of think about it. one is El is listening and the other one is like poison. Though, actually not poison of El, excuse me. Cause Sama means poison those or poison them. It's actually, it's more verb-like. It's a directive. So if I say Samael, poison those of El. It's like poison El's children. Poison those of El. That's Samael. But Samael sounds so close to Samuel. You see? But these are like, these are the tricks that you have. These are devilish tricks you got to be aware of. It goes so, like I said, it goes so very deep. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to go so deep with you on this one because I, I could, I could literally teach on this for hours upon hours. Like I said, in your, your, um, Hebrew, you have Shaddai. Shaddai is another name for the devil, right? And then you have El Shadi or El Shaddai, which is, it, you know the difference because with El Shaddai, there's a Yod at the end. So it would be like spelled like Shem Dalet Yod, which is different than Shada, which is Shem Dalet. Shem, Shem Dalet. So it's the Yod or the hand of God at the end of the word that now lets you know, oh, this is something different. We're talking about the Almighty, which is what it usually translates to, you know, the Almighty. But when you say Shada or Shada, it means a demon or a devil. So Shada, Shaddai. <laughs> right? Like I said, man, it, it, it goes so much deeper. So when we speak about now, now you might say, well, why is it so similar? Like, why do they, why do they make these names or these names came forth and they're so close to each other? Well, because they're all Elohim. That's why, <laughs> you know, that's why. You know, it's like if my name is Yuya and my evil twin is Zuya. It's very close. He's my evil twin though. <laughs> you know, right? So it's, it's like, but we both got the same father. Uh oh. <laughs> it, it, it goes so much deeper because you start to say like, well, why would, ah, like I said, this story goes deep. Who would be over here making devils? <laughs> Freaking Murdoch. Or Marduk, as some of you may call him. But we'll get into that. Maybe that's more like an internal Anu thing. I don't want to get too deep on the the wars of the Elohim um, through the podcast. But that's an Anu thing that we'll discuss at some point. That's a high. That those are higher level courses. Uh, that's because in in order for you to understand that, you have to bring in the Bhagavad Gita. Without 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 the Bhagavad Gita you won't understand the Elohim. You have to read the Kama Sutra and you have to read the Bhagavad Gita along with the Hebrew Bible. 
and have a have a understanding of some of the Arabic as well. And that's the only way you're gonna get it. Like to get the the, the larger picture. And there's there's other texts that you can read as well and piece it together. But some of them are less sophisticated than others, you know? Um so you you never get it all out of one book, man. You be that's 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 just backbreaking. <laughs> that's backbreaking for no reason. You know, you, you gotta know how to move throughout the land. And in Anu, I teach that. That's not something you just jump off the porch, even though you probably think you're doing it now, but you ain't. That's just that's not something you just jump off the porch like, yeah, you know, I read a little bit, reading now nah, I ain't reading a little bit of nothing. You gotta learn how to speak these languages. Like when y'all hear me breaking down Yoruba words and you hear me breaking down Hebraic words, that you hear me breaking down Latin and breaking down English, that's not something you jump off the porch and do. These are languages I still study every day in addition to all the other languages that I also study. You know, like Mandarin. You hear me speak any Mandarin yet because I'm still really working through my Mandarin. Um, I haven't gotten to the point yet where I can really dissect it, but um, my understanding it and writing it is really more where I'm at now. So imagine how long it takes to even just get to that point and until you can start saying, okay, now let's start dissecting. You know, um, if you're doing it, if you're doing it um, with authenticity and, and sincerity, if you just want to slap it together, then yeah, you could be like all of the con people who I mentioned in my last session. Just get a little bit. All you need is a little bit. And then you could jump off the porch and then start teaching people and Whatever it is, whatever questions they have, you just make up an answer. <laughs> and then that'll make you even sound even deeper because your made up answer would be like, wow, I never, I never knew that. I never saw that anywhere. I never read that. Of course you didn't because the person just made it up. But it just made it sound like it was a real answer. And now you are ready to drink the, uh, it wasn't Kool-Aid, but whatever drink they give you, you know, Jim Jones gave his people. Um, so yeah, you know, these are, these are just some of the things that you want to kind of pay attention to. Um, but I just wanted to kind of start you all with understanding that, um, there are this idea of a devil, you know, it's not something that is exclusive to one race of people, one group of people. Um, but there are people here every day that we live with who are devils. And we may not want to accept that fact and we may want to call it something else or whatever, but, um, cause they might be like, I, I, I like his music, <laughs> you know, or I like her songs or I like her as an actress or, you know, I like, he's my governor or, you know, whatever it is. And we may, we may not be able to accept that devils existed before. And this is from our melanin rich people. Devils existed before the creation of the Caucasian. The Caucasian devils came after the black devils. Okay. And I can, I can break that down to you scripturally, scientifically, <laughs> you know, however you want to, you want to go, but, um, I'm sorry. It, it, it's just what it is, man. Um, so to just imagine that everything that's dark is, is, um, good, inherently good, and everything that's, um, pale is inherently bad is a very childish way to go about this. It's very childish. It's very stupid. You know? 
And and it, it's not reflective of what you really see in the world, to be honest. If you really to truly be honest with yourself, you know, and try not to operate from a degenerated sort of state in terms of your thinking and think from your higher thought in your inner mind, you'd see like, nah, man, this is, this is so much deeper than color, but someone has tricked me into thinking that it's about color. So I'll never find the real source. Just like I, I'll never find my true yah if I don't understand that there's multiple yahs. So if somebody jumps through and says, well, God loves everyone. Who's God? Maybe yours. Mine deals with his own people. That's what mine deals with. He's coming back for his people. That's what he, what he says. You know, well, how's he coming back? He's coming back on his throne. What's his throne? Mountains. It says it right in the books. Read the book of Enoch. What did Enoch see? The throne of God. What was the throne of God? He saw the seven mountains. They were mountains. See, we, we, we make all this stuff so mystical. I mean, shoot, Enoch, what is it? The, um, uh, let's see if I can pull up my book real quick. I think it's the, the 17th chapter. Is it the 17th or the 18th? Somewhere around the 17th or 18th. He starts talking about all the mountain, you know, when, He's having these conversations with these, these different angels, you know, and he's talking about these mountains that he's seeing, these trees that have these beautiful fragrances. And then he talks about these different levels going into the deeper portals of earth, the three portals of earth. And he says, and here I saw three portals of heaven open in the heaven through each of them proceed north winds. When they blow, there is cold, hail, frost, snow, dew and rain. And out of one portal, they blow for good. But when they blow through the other two portals, it is with violence and affliction on the earth and they blow with violence. And from thence I went towards the west to the ends of the earth and saw the three portals of the heaven open, such as I had seen in the east, the same number of portals and the same number of outlets. He's talking about access to the hollow earth. It's right there in front of you. You probably wonder, well, why did they take the book of Enoch out? <laughs> And you don't want that one in there. <laughs> Enoch was like, he was, he was blowing the, the, the secrets wide open. <laughs> you know, when he described Sheol, he described the underworld. Yeah, I believe it was the, you can start with the 12th chapter. No, I'm sorry, not the 12th. Why did I say that? You start with the 22nd chapter. Excuse me. Start with the 22nd chapter. And you could just go from there. And that's where he says, um, let me see. Uh, and then I went to another place and he showed me in the West, great and high mountain of hard rock. And there was in it four hollow places, deep and wide and very smooth. How smooth are the hollow places and deep and dark to look at. Then Raphael answered one of the holy angels who was with me and said unto me, these hollow places have been created for this very purpose, that the spirits of the souls of the dead should assemble therein. Yea, that all the souls of the children of men should assemble here. And these places have been made to receive them to the day of their judgment and to their appointed period. Till the great judgment comes upon them. Hmm. This is a physical place. I saw the spirits of the children of men who were dead. And their voice went forth to heaven 
and made suit. Then I asked Raphael, the angel who was with me, and I said unto him, the spirit whose it, whose voice goeth forth and make it suit. You see? And he's answered to me saying, this is the spirit which went forth from Abel, whom his brother Cain slew. And he makes his suit against him till his seed is destroyed from the face of the earth and his seed is annihilated from amongst the seed of men. You remember in Genesis when he was like, yo, your brother's blood calls me from the earth? This is what it was talking about. And his blood wasn't just calling like he was like, yo, you did. And when we're saying blood, he's saying like, there's a certain place that spirits go. And he's calling me from that cavern. And he's saying, kill. Habel is saying, kill, annihilate the seed of Cain for what he did. They didn't tell you that part in the book, right? <laughs> in Genesis, you don't read that part. What he said, you know, what he said in Habel, forth from Habel, whom his brother Cain, Cain slew, and he makes his suit against him till his seed is destroyed from the face of the earth and his seed is annihilated from amongst the seed of men. Then I asked regarding it and regarding all the hollow places, why has one separated from another? And he answered me and said unto me, these three have been made that the spirits of the dead might be separated. And such a division has been made for the spirits of the righteous in which there as the bright spring of water and such has been made for sinners when they die and are buried in the earth and judgment has not yet been ex executed upon them. It, it has not been executed on them in their lifetime. There's so much to that. I don't want to keep going into that. You don't receive judgment in this lifetime. All right, it's coming, but we just put you to the side over here. And for those of us who have gone through hell, <laughs> hell on earth, you know, like, yeah, you pay for every stupid thing you did. You go over here. The separation is always division. So as there are different types of humans, there's different type of deities. There's different places for everybody, you know. And a lot of times that it's right in front of you, you know. And just like Cain, you like, well, Cain, you know, he got away. His brother, Habel, is in this place making suit against him. That's like a, a petition against him or hex. So you'll kill all his seed, the seed of Cain. It's deep. Imagine something calling from the earth 24-7 to destroy your entire seed, your line, everything. Whew. It's deep stuff. So anyway, um, the subject was devils. <laughs> I know we got off into the book of Enoch. It's, it's such an interesting book, but it, it, it does give you a little bit more information about some of the background of, um, the Anunnaki Elohim and why, um, there could possibly be devils and there could possibly be non devils. Um, and I didn't even get into that part too much. That maybe that's a whole nother segment, but I, I think like again, I said that's more internal Anu stuff. Um, that I would share as, you know, that's like a, that's an internal class because, um, that, that's not something, that's not a casual conversation. Sometimes you waste teaching on people who are just listening for curiosity as opposed to people who understand the, the urgency of what it is that you're sharing and how it needs to be applied, not just something for you to again stuff into your notebook and say, yeah, I'm deep because look what else I got. <laughs> 
look at these notes, you know, time's up for, for that. So I just gave some basic things on these are how you, you spot a devil and these are some of the tricks that are used. Like I said, just something as simple as, as the names of certain things that, or certain entities that you might be calling on and thinking that you're saying one thing, um, or thinking that you're saying something positive and righteous, but you're really actually calling destruction down into yourself or you're causing, you're, you're calling poison. Like if you're saying Samael. Now that I've said those things, pay attention, pay attention when you hear people like Catholic priests speak. Ooh, they're so tricky. Sometimes I listen to them, you know, like come on TV, the news, and they'll do the little quick little blessings or whatever. And I listen to their words and I, I catch them all the time. All the time I'm catching them. They're devils. Some of them, not all of them, of course. Some of them just really want to help humanity out and do great things on the planet. That's cool too. But some are straight up devils. You know? And they seek to destroy the original people. You see? They usually destroy them in the same sort of ways, but, um, they have agents, usually send women, you know? Usually your first encounter with a devil is going to be a female. You know, females always work through. We saw that in the garden. You know, there's male devils too, but usually the most, the ones who put in the most work, <laughs> you know, be the females. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's something for you to give some thought to, right? So this has been Chief Yuya. This has been a Chief Yuya podcast and willfully coupled with this last podcast or like really just dealing with um tricky energies that will seek to try to derail you from your path and take you from what divinity has given to you to make you nice and full and and beautiful and you know um the message that's just been dispatched for you in order for you to live a a life of a spiritual being willfully you can Identify some of those people a little bit easier. You know, you can see who they are. and You'll be able to see which Elohim are among you that are operating from an angelic place. And then you'll be able to see which and Elohim that are among you that are operating from a um, malevolent place. You know, you'll, you'll see eventually, who, you know, eventually your, your, your vision gets more clear and more clear and more clear. And you'll be able to see and just understand just because someone will break down. I've done a segment on Baphomet before. Just because somebody can break down the dark side to you doesn't mean that they're, they're good. You know, I've seen people get in trouble for that. I'm going to say a name because I can't. I know him personally. Bobby Hemet. I told him to stop years ago. Stop. You keep calling these, you doing these, you wearing these necklaces and you calling forth these energies and these spirits and these libations. Half the names you ain't even pronouncing right. And everybody gets into it because people like to see other people destroy themselves. Yeah, but I'll probably be teaching about the dark side. He'd be teaching about, man, he like, man, F all this and all the profanity. Profanity, all that profanity is a gateway. That's how spirits get into your system. Every other word is, man, and then your understudy there, he doing the same thing and calling Arisha B-I-T-C-H's and N-I-G-G-A-S's and stuff. Hmm. And people think that stuff is cute. 
you know, that level of, of arrogance. And then Bobby had a stroke. And he said he ain't doing all that anymore. He's done with all that. He had he had his his wake up. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that are not to be played with. And, you know, like I've said before, just because you may hear a person like me or someone who has been in this for a very long time studying consistently, it may we may make it look easy. <laughs> we may make it look easy. Um, but that's what a professional is supposed to do. You know, I don't ever want to go to the doctor's office and cat be fumbling around the office and, you know what I mean? Putting the thermometer in the wrong spot and stuff like, yeah, nah, man. He, he may, there may be something seriously wrong with me, but man, make it, make it look smooth. Make it look like it ain't about nothing. Oh, it's a simple procedure, man. We just, it's nothing. Uh, we just take your heart out and we, uh, put another heart in there and it's just, I mean, you be in and out. Go home same day. Make me feel like that. <laughs> you know, so you may, you may listen to some of us. That's why I say some of these things, I'm not teaching them publicly because people are foolish and they get confused really quick and arrogant really quick. And they start putting their hands where they don't belong. And next thing you know, they're screwed up. And then that's when they come to me, oh, chief, man, everything been going down. What's going on? Yeah. Well, did you do the basic things I told you to do? The character development. Now, I ain't do none of the character development. I ain't do none of that. I ain't been paying attention to how I should be honorable or be truthful or, you know, stop doing drugs and stop smoking weed. And I ain't do none of that. But I have been doing the ritual. Right. Yep. So <laughs> that's what some things you got to go through this on new conditioning first because you ain't really ready for it. I'm not putting uh, assault rifles in the hands of children. So with that being said, man, thank you so much. And and I, and I will that you all are protected and that you are being loved and loving someone else and you're connecting with your family. And like I always say, if you don't have a family, I knew will be your family. We got you. <laughs> all right. So that goes out, you know, just sending a, a shot of strength and support to all of you who have applied and are considering applying. And even those who may not have made it through the first round. Um, you can always reapply. Sometimes you don't make it through because you just ain't ready. You know, and you can always, if, if, if you don't get accepted into Anu, I advise all of you not. The people who do the interviews and stuff, they're probably not going to like that I'm going to say this, but hey, I'm the chief. <laughs> Reach back out and ask why. Don't, don't feel embarrassed to do that. Hey, I, you know, I got a letter saying, you know, that, you know, wouldn't be accepted at this time or whatever. Can you tell me why? You know, like, don't don't be afraid to get itemized and be humble enough to receive that. You know, um, that will be the tricky part, most likely, <laughs> if you can be humble enough to receive it. But feedback is is always necessary in order for us to grow. You know, it's necessary. So I, I just put that out there to you. All right. But, um, yeah, everyone, definitely, um, be well, be safe and, and be loving. All right. Chief, you, y'all. Peace.